feel like when you when you put so much into a book like this and there's so much of you personally and it goes off out into the world does it feel like a piece of you out there <laughs> what a great way to start absolutely it does um people say um did you enjoy it you know was it cathartic was it not not this book so it's my second one the first one was cathartic my time in the police and it's a great way of getting something out of your head and, and on paper but this one was a real challenge because uh, I wanted to, the work I do these days is based on, as an academic foundation based in neuroscience. And I know that um, in today's environment, there's always someone wanting to sort of have a go, Mm. (laughs) but I wanted to keep a personal flavor to it whilst bringing academic support to the, what I'm saying, plus putting it in, um, a language that all of us can understand, including me as a builder <laughs> in my early lifestyle, you know, trying to understand how I can get neuroscience, how I can get the research in academia and how can I bring it down to something that I understand and will engage with people. And I think I have, but now it's that, how's it going to go? <laughs> have you had feedback so far? Do you get, do you get people having a go at you about, uh, you know, gender differences, how you raise your kids, that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? So um, it's it's I haven't had any of that. The p- feedback I've got has just been wonderful. Uh, and no doubt that will happen, you know, right? So no, no doubt people will come and say that's not quite right or um, and that's fine. Um, I, I can live with that. It's, it's when we get a little bit, you know, when people go over the top and they get a bit personal, a bit nasty, I think that's, that's a little bit different. But um, yeah, really it is. Um, so for... An, for <laughs> A middle-aged white man, or in fact, probably more than middle-aged. Um, what's happening in the world at the moment is really eye-opening for me, and it's made me rethink things. And it's and it's been brilliant, you know, to be able to um, reflect and go because I know now the very first thing that we learn in our life, um, that particularly if it's got an emotional attachment to it, is very hard to dissuade mm. uh, you from thinking any other way, right? So if I'd read. Uh, early on, which I did, but I sort of, <laughs> I, I knew it wasn't quite right about the cell phone ties, five cell phone towers, the five G, and causing COVID. Now, when you read the very first one I read, was pretty good, and it looked like it had some academic foundation to it. And I'm like, wow, somebody's onto something. And then you read, carry on, and you think, mm, little maybe not. Uh, but the very first piece of information we have that looks real, looks genuine, has an emotional attachment to it, is very hard to dissuade people from that. And that's, I put myself in that position because that's, I'm the generation that grew up with, this is the way everyone is. Um, we have the generational differences. We can generalize about everything, right? So that's what I grew up. And here it is, and this is, this is the facts. But we know, now know that we are the same but different. So we have the same basic hard wiring as in survival techniques and the same fight or flight, etc. But what makes us go into fight or flight is different. So it's our environment, it's our genetics. So is it nature, nurture? The answer is yes. And it's challenged me. And I found it quite, um, quite opening. Well, I can feel myself going off track fairly, fairly quickly, but I just, there's something, there's something interesting in that authority thing as well. It's like that old experiment where 
they had normal people thinking that they'd pretty much executed someone on the other side of a wall at the uh, at the instruction yeah. of people wearing white yeah. lab coats because they were the the authorities. So it's kind of interesting. It's interesting that you you know that you bring that into this stuff as well. Uh, but you also talk about the fact that we have this innate morality too, and you mentioned some really uh, horrific cases like with uh, with with sexual abuse. You know where there mm. is this there is this kind of morality that we have. We know we have this kind of benchmark. It's interesting. I'm not sure what my point was with that. But yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. So that, that goes back to my earlier point. Um, and it, it's, it's, we're born with a basic sense of good and bad. There are genetic components to it, but you know, and I enjoy reading research around young children and you know, the, the way they can put children from anywhere in the world together and most of them will play together in a very similar fashion, no matter where they were born. There'll be one person in there that might be a little bit different depending on their age, but we get more and more different as we, as we grow, grow. And the way I explain this is we all have something basic within us. So it, it, perhaps if you were to put a young child, a, an infant beside a swimming pool, right on the edge of the swimming pool, what's the chances of it going in the water rather than walking away? Very high. Why? Because we're inquisitive because we want to learn and we don't know danger. So fear is what keeps us safe. That's mm -hmm. what is innate again in all of us. And so that, but the, the, the infant will want to survive, right? Natural instinct, that, that very first brain we have, the top of the spine that keeps us alive, the brainstem. And so that's what keeps us where we are. But we learn a lot of things. Yes, mm -hmm. I know there's genetic foundations. And so, um, you know, the, the stuff I've been doing recently around indigenous populations around the world, if they've been hurt in previous generations or feel aggrieved in some way, that is passed on to their later generations. So we know that the genetic dispositions are there, but we all have this innate thing of we are all good. And, you know, that, that one I put in my book and it was, it, it just, it really hit me home at the time is if you were brought up being sexually abused, how do you know that's wrong? Mm. So we've got, it's, it's latent, it's, it's there, it's in us all. And so and it's a great point that you have. So, um, but we all have this good and bad, unless we've been damaged either biologically or psychologically. And the biological usually happens within the womb or, you know, gen genes, et cetera. So for the large part, it's what we've learned and what we've done, but we've, we've got this right and wrong, haven't we? Mm. You know, that's what guilt and regret is. In fact, I put a post out on that today. Uh, and I, I wish I'd known then what I know now. Um, and we do things that we, we sort of know is wrong, but we did it anyway. And we have these things that we, we mistakes we make in our life. Um, and how do you overcome those mistakes? What is guilt? Where did it come from? It's always been there. You know, we've, we've, we have this sense of responsibility, don't we? Mm. Going back to that it's interesting can you can you give, a, give an example of how when you're talking about some of those indigenous populations and you've got that intergenerational kind of messaging mm -hmm. passed through what is that i mean how is that transferred what does that look like yeah so it's both we know there's we have something called um genetic memory uh and and there's been some work going on and, and again let's qualify this it's the research i've read so I always qualify this, right? So I don't research, I read research. That's to get the academics on side. Uh, and then what I do is, uh, is I, so I can only relate to what I've read. And there's so much 
information out there and so much research out there, it depends on the research that we've read, that we engage with, that gives us, right? That, that, and it's hard to dissuade us from that. But I like to think I've tried and got an open mind. So from what I've read, we do have genetic memory. And um, so deja vu, I try to speak about that a little bit in the book. What is that? Well, we've, it, we're in a similar position to what we have been. But we know that all the indigenous populations have this ability to, is it to be able to see the future or is it, you know, so they've got something that's unique within them. Within them. Now, again, we know that if they've been hurt or harmed in some way in their past, that carries on. So they, we, we, the genome is passed on. And there's some new work coming out, or it's been around for a long time, but certainly we've modernized it now with, with um, the ability to mask our gene, right? So we've got this ability with, through epigenetics to mask those genes and to be able to move forward. So science is really, really catching up with what we've always sort of known, mm. right? So we, we know that breathing is good for us, but none of us does it. We know that um, sort of what's right and what's wrong, unless something's happened either to us in our immediate, either in the womb or, or after being born, or previous generations, because it does impact on us, particularly hurt and pain. Why do we remember those things? Because that's what keeps us safe. Mm. And so that's the tendency for that to be passed on. How do, you, how do you go about beginning to rewrite some of those things that are passed on? And you, and you talk about like... Uh, you know, if we're talking about uh, depression and suicide uh, mm. within New Zealand, I mean, it, 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 it's pretty heavy on the Māori side of things. Um, mm. When you're looking at the Pacific uh, population, like 25% of uh, many islands have type 2 diabetes, which is linked to, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of habits and that kind of thing. In places like Nara, it's 40%. How do you begin mm. to rewrite some of, that, some of that kind of generational stuff that's passed yeah it's it's very very hard to do and 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 i'll acknowledge that you know so somebody who's had depression and was suicidal myself um it is very and so my mum had it you know and i passed it on to my family um but we know through epigenetic genetics that we can so the latest stuff on that is if we mask our genetic dispositions to certain things and then we have children the gene still gets passed on but it stays masked so it's not um activated if you like mm. so um it really is about understanding how the brain works and how our minds work with our brain. So our minds are obviously inside our head and, and, and understanding how those work is the way forward uh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, so here's a simple example of it. I'll, 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 I'll do it with you right now and see what happens. So um, if I was to say to you that anxiety and or depression and possibly suicide is in every family in the world and it's in your family and right now you're thinking about that person and because of that, your mood has dropped, would that be fair? Would that be a fair assumption if I was saying that to you? Yep. And so, right. So now what I want you to do is to think now about a holiday you went on somewhere where maybe when we could travel, when you could go overseas. So think about that now. Where were you? In Fiji or Bali or Phuket, you know, wherever you were, was it nice and warm and sunny? Were you having drinks by the, by the beach, out fishing, diving, whatever you might be doing? So that's, um, chances are you'd be smiling and chances are your mood's lifted. Now, all I did there was force a thought mm. on both occasions. The very first thing that comes is always the emotion. 
Now, we've got a brain that's got a negative bias that's looking for danger, right? So we're forward-looking people. We worry a lot. And that's because where is the danger? So if we daydream, the science says, and I think, well, I can back it up with myself, is that if I daydream, I'll be brought back to the moment with a negative thought. So it appears that we don't really have random thoughts. Mm. The emotion brings the thought which changes the feeling or the mood. And just the basic understanding of that, of start thinking about what we're thinking about by forcing our thoughts to change the emotion, which is hardwired more so than the thoughts because the thoughts are nothing about what we've done in the past. So if you can affect the actual emotion and then lift our mood, or even just by doing a feeling, by having a hot bath or you know, rubbing your hand over a sheepskin or having a feeling, something you can touch, something tactile, that gives you this warm glow, patting a pet, all that stuff, that changes your thought, which again affects your emotions. Mm. And so just that basic understanding gives us the ability to start changing. But it takes 60 to 80 days to, re- to build a neural pathway to change a habit. And so this is the thing at 21 days, um, and, and in my crude way of, of doing it, um, I might say, you know, I've, I'm, it's summer. I'm going to um, lose a bit of weight, so I'm going to eat ice for the next mm. three months. First week, you eat ice. Second week, you put flavoring in it. Third week, you're putting whiskey, gin and vodka in your ice. At 21 days, somebody's put a piece of chocolate in your whole bowl of ice. You think, what could it hurt? I'll eat it. Back in that neural pathway, four weeks from when you started, whole bowl of chocolate, one piece of ice, rebound. So it, it tries to draw us back because, and what's going on at the moment with COVID, what happened? We always reflect on our past to see the future. We've never had a past like it before. And so a lot of us are catastrophizing about the future. We're looking forward uh, and we're looking forward too far. You know, I really want to be flying at the end of this year. Well, that's not going to happen, right? So we just need to just not look so far forward these days, but know that what's inside our head is mostly made up. Yeah. It's ourself talking to ourself about ourself. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. There's there's a few points there that that would be really cool to draw on. I'll I'll go back to, like, you know, for a book called The Dark Side of the Dark Side of the Brain, I found it very optimistic. Is that my kind of warped rose? No, it's not. That's what it's meant to be. Good on you. You're. A, oh yeah, we're gonna have to catch up outside of this interview. <laughs> uh, I like you a lot, and so that's what the whole book is about, right? So somebody who's had depression, who's been suicidal. Um, and, and it's, it's just not a nice place to be. Um, the book is a book of hope. The reason why, so it was actually going to be called, now I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say the word SHIT. Yep, that's okay fine. That? Yeah. Right, so the original title was going to be called Our Bullshit Brain mm. because it makes shit up um, and it exaggerates the negative so that we can fix it. That's what catastrophization is, right? So where's the danger? Let's expand that a little bit the longer we hold on to it. Let's expand it so it makes it easy for us to fix it. And the book does give you hope that I have spoken with me. Look, I, got, I get emails all the time. I just got one. You might have just heard the buzz, and I quickly looked across, and it was a message from somebody saying thank you wow. um, for such a positive message. So, um, yes, I'll, I'll, I take people on a journey through the book. But really, it's a journey of understanding, and through knowledge comes our ability to change things, right? 
So, um, you know, I, I often say nothing changes if nothing changes. Well, actually, if nothing changes when you're in this headspace, negative headspace stuff, it does change. It gets worse. Mm. And so having an understanding that, yes, we can help ourselves. Yes, we can do a lot for ourselves. But the biggest, the easiest way is to reach out to others. And, and that's the thing that we don't often do. You know, even that process that you took me through before in terms of the the emotion and the feeling like imagining the the holiday and was it was there a process that you had to go through in order to protect yourself because when you're when you're having to go through and relive some of these things you're you're forcing those thoughts you're forcing that emotion to some extent was that a particularly difficult process for you yeah it it, it was and it always is so anything that has an emotional attachment to it um is going to take you either on a happy journey or a sad journey. And um, so in my first book, uh, one of the hardest um, pieces I had to write was how I had to go into a, a home of a, of a young Polynesian, young Polynesian lady who, who, who had, um, who baby had, had died. Um, and I had to take the baby off her and, and, you know, take it away. Um, so I could go through the, you know, coroner's process. And that was extremely hard. Uh, and now, as I go back through in this book, um, you know, we lost our niece to suicide, beautiful niece, 16 years old. And, you know, I still tear up when I, when I think about it. And that's over a year ago. Mm. Um, but what I do know is, um, and I guess looking at the positive side of it, I've got that attachment because she was special. And I've got that attachment to that, you know, taken because it was a, it inspired me to change the process within New Zealand police, which I did on how we do that so that um, I look, I, I feel the sadness and then I look for the good. Um, and I've had to train myself to do that. I was the most negative person you could ever meet in your life. <laughs> and so it, it is really hard to go through these things. And, and that's why I've done it in the book. They're just every so often these little personal stories I tell, um, you know, I've got a, a lovely letter there that was supplied to me by a lady who lost her son. And so um, having those little personal notes all the way through brings us back to our emotional connection. I don't want it to be a, I didn't want it to be a bland book. I wanted people to laugh, to cry, to get sad, to get happy, to feel because that's how we remember things, by feeling it. You know, the, 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 the impact that you're, that you have in that email that you mentioned there is a, is a case in point and the changes that you've made uh, New Zealand Police, is there, could you sum up what, what is driving you? Could, you? could you sum that up in a sentence? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that, um, well, it, it's, it's all about that one starfish, right? So throw that one starfish into the water, even though there's thousands on the beach. Well, it doesn't help the thousands, but it helps that one. Mm. But also it's healing for me. So we've all make mistakes. We all make errors. We all have regrets, you know, no matter what it is across our life. And for me, um, I don't have the ability to go back to my childhood and, and make right what I perceive as being wrong. Mm. So what I do then have is the opportunity to make things as good as I can for others. And that's what drives me. Um, yes, 
being honest, there is a bit of ego in there. You stand up on stage in front of 500 people and they all start laughing and crying and, and doing a breathing technique. That's pretty powerful stuff. And you get a great buzz from that. And that is that ego being satisfied, mm. but really it is about genuinely helping people. And I do, you know, I get phone calls and messages a lot and I respond to them um, just to try and help as much as I can. Because I know that when you've helped that one person, not only has it helped them, it's helped those around them. And who knows, I might get some work out of it. If not, it doesn't really matter. But it's just that I get a real buzz from, from seeing people thrive after they've been where I've been. It's taken me, I had to go through a, a self-learning to get to where I am today. Um, so all I'm hoping is that I can pass on that. You know, those of us that have been in the mire have an obligation to the world to actually tell people what it was like, not moan about it, not to whinge and carry on about it, but to say, this is what I went through and this is what I found helpful because what helped me may not help anyone else. Mm. So all of us, even if we're down in the mire now, have an obligation to get ourselves well so that we can come out of it and we can write a book and we can, you know, I left school with no qualifications. I'm the cliche grew up in a state house, got moved every three years. My dad was in the Air Force, right? Never had any formal education as such that I could speak of because we're being moved everywhere. Um, it wasn't until I joined the police that somebody said, actually, you're a little bit clever. You need to just focus. <laughs> and so I started to focus and realized that where did this come from? I'm a builder. What gives me the right to do this and to write that book? And so it, I'm just hoping that we, it'll inspire somebody to do that. We, we're obliged to do that so that we can tell others. And with socialization doesn't come normalized. I don't ever want to normalize. All I want to do is for us to say that it's okay to say we're not okay. It's mm. not okay not to be okay. It's okay to say we're, that I'm not okay. And to make it easy for people to start opening up conversations because we know there's only two ways to get things out of your head, talk or write. You were talking before about being a builder. What worry do I have to write a book? That sounds an awful lot like imposter syndrome. Do you still have that? Do you still feel like that? <laughs> I've got a shocking imposter. Oh, look. I, so here I am in Canada, right, in front of the forestry industry. Um, and uh, so there was Russians, Americans, Canadians. There were, I don't know, 300 in the room, three, 400 in the room. And they're all quite... Um, you know, from 40 years on, onwards, so, and all men, not, there was only a smattering of women through it. And I'm standing up on stage and I do this breathing technique that uh, you do it with your eyes closed and it just puts you into the alpha zone, right? It makes you go flat. It just it stops the brain thoughts. And I, I happen to, and I've, I've got the timer on my phone, so I'm, I'm going in, out, in, out. And I happen to look up and I went, every single one of them had their eyes closed. With their mouth open and I went what gives you the right to do this are you sure you're playing with people's heads what are you and so um, I and so I get it a lot you know why am I doing it so I've got two diplomas and a master's all based on the brain and adult learning and um, radicalization and all that sort of stuff what gives me the right so I'm doing a positive diploma in positive psychology and well-being just so I can say well I've got that one as well I have a terrible imposter. It's just, you know, nothing gives you the right to do this. <laughs> now you mentioned, you mentioned your childhood when I was particularly moved by uh, the letter to your younger self. And there's probably elements in there that a lot of us can, um, can relate to. 
what do you what, what do you think your younger self would make of the the person that you've become they wouldn't believe it and they would have had self-doubt and they would have gone really that's what you're going to grow up to be um i've got a strong inner critic i've got a strong imposter i i worry incredibly i mean my mum was a huge worrier and so i guess looking to where i am now i still have to stop and reflect and one of the one of the um, tools that i've developed is for people particularly for young ones to see how far they've come Mm. because we don't often step back and go you know i'm a believer that um, look forward because that's the way we're going and the only reason we should ever look back is to good things or now to see how far we've come and that's a great tool. Um, I wish I'd, and the, the post I put out today, I wish I'd known uh, now what I, then what I know now. Um, but that's how we learn. And so I'm able to say now, okay, that would have been fine. But yeah, my younger self would have looked at that and gone. You know, I remember um, when I first joined the police after being a builder for 20 years, and I'm, I can remember to this day looking down at my, and I'm at the police college, so I'm away from home, I'm feeling homesick, all that stuff. And I looked, and the blue jersey, and then I looked, and the, the patch, the police patch, and I looked around the room and I went, what am I doing here? How did I get in this place? What is wrong with you? Are you crazy? You've left your family. You're on half the salary you got. Get back there. All right? So, you know, we, I'm a shocker. And you have these little aha moments in your life. And, and so I guess... My first book was really, really cathartic of going back over that. Maybe we, we should be doing that more often. Maybe we should be just looking. See, younger people today um, we have got a greater ability to compare themselves with others. Mm. The only people that I could compare myself with was my immediate friends, which is only you know, three or four or five, if mm. I'm lucky. Uh, now we can compare ourselves with the world. So maybe um, bringing in some programs around emotional intelligence, but not just emotional intelligence, but maybe just getting uh, children to reflect on, on themselves. You know, I, I hear all the time that young children today are self-centered. No, they're not. Just because they put selfies out doesn't mean they're self-centered. Hmm. They're just seeking some form of gratification. They're just seeking some form of here I am. I've seen all of you and here I am. What do you think about me? And they do need that emotional support uh, simply because their brain is wired differently. Right. So we know that young children is, and this is where I sort of stretch the boundaries a bit in the book is are more empathic. They're more empathetic than, than ever before. Um, and the reason is that just the, the changing of, of our environment is the biggest impact on us, technology, et cetera. And so, you know, mainly tech and mainly the, you know, the social media, et cetera. And so maybe giving children some tools and going, and, and I'm sh- sure this is what happened to, to our lovely niece. Uh, and, we, and I know it, that's the case, that she never saw herself for what she was, a mm. beautiful, special young person. Uh, and so that's what these tools and hopefully the tools of the book will help them to be able to just to, to do a bit of self-reflection. No, no, they're not selfish, you know, none of that stuff. Um, if you think that, that then, you, then you haven't studied it. But what, what they don't do is reflect on their positive stuff. And what, that's perhaps what I could have done with the younger. And that younger self stuff reflecting on that was, uh, it was all about me. But now I get many people just like you that said, I could just see so many parts of me in there. Mm. can you talk can you delve into that the the empathy 
side. So is, is that related to social media, the, the, the widening of perspective? What is, what is behind it? Yeah, it's, it, it, it absolutely it pretty much is that. Now, there's two people have come out from um, Facebook now. So there's a quote in my book, but now I see another one that's just come out around social media. And they said that, um, you know, they had an inkling of what uh, the negatives it might bring, but carried on regardless. And one of them was to his deep regret that he carried on. Um, so social media is one of the biggest impacts on us all, particularly for young brains. So we know that when we watch things and read things that we like, we're getting little shots of dopamine. Mm. And dopamine uh, makes our brain neuroplastic. It makes it soft. It makes it malleable, like putting water into clay. Now, they've already got malleable brains. Their, their brains are already just looking for soaking up knowledge. And so we've got the addictive the tendency to, to hit the social media, uh, and, all, and, and the, the, all the chemicals are starting to change in the brain. Now, young kids know a lot more today than my generation ever knew and probably ever likely to know. They know way too much information, um, probably not too much information. They know what they need to know, but our brains aren't wired for that, right? Mm -hmm. So it takes generations of not hundreds of years to change the hard wiring of our brain, that soft wiring has really, really screwed us up a lot. And so um, a lot of young children are ang anxious or even anxiety. And that comes from this, this, this emotional attachments, this empathy and all of this sort of stuff. You know, young kids do care about others. There's, there's no doubt about it. You'll get the, the, some of them that are the bullies and do all that, but most of them really do care. And they take on so much themselves. They absorb it. And so they're trying to help so many others and, and they're just not taking time to go, I better start looking at myself and, and realizing how good I am. And you can tell your child how great they are, but they need to do it for themselves. They need mm. to sit down and write some things out about what are their strengths and what can they focus on. So this is something that I'm particularly worried about. I've got a six-year-old daughter. Where will things be in 10 years in terms of, in terms oh, of social media, yeah. like algorithms getting faster, mobile CPUs getting faster? What, what happens? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that, um, that social media and that technology sort of stuff will have a COVID event <laughs> where everything, we're not allowed on it. Mm. And we'll just take a breath and then bring it back into a recheck, right? So governments are trying to do that at the moment. Uh, Organisations are trying to do it. So the United Nations says that under the age of two, no one should be on any device whatsoever. And all they're doing there is saying, we need to adapt to this ever-changing world, to this technology. I'd like to think that was the case, but per from a you know personal perspective, I love it. I like that stuff. I like to be able to see what my friends are doing around the world. Um, but I don't like to see what my competitors are doing. Mm. How did they get that gig? What, what did them get? So I'm doing that all the time. I'm like, whew. So I just get off social media altogether. And mm. so knowing how to work with it is the key because it's not going away. And so where is it going to be in 10 years' time? Who would know? We know that robotics are going to be everywhere, right? So we know that that's the case. Um, but we don't really know um, how far it's going to go. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not against robotics. So, look, I grew up in an area where there was the nuclear 
war, the, the, the fear of nuclear. Then we, we had wars all around the world, you know, the third world coming, world war coming. Um, grew up and computers were going to take over the world, and they largely have. But mm. we're never out of a job. Our fear was that we're going to be left behind, and so, but we aren't, you know. And so we go through these, these decades of, of growth as a, as, a, as a species, and I think we're going to go through. But the thing is the growth is going so fast now. It's exponential. So we're going to have to learn how to adapt to this dynamic. Swiveling and pivoting and all that won't work. Mm. I know what they mean by that. So rather than, but we have to learn to adapt to it. That gives us the opportunity to pivot and swivel. Know what's going on. Because you'd think like in a, in a parallel universe, right? I mean, we're, the, the, the technology that we have should be a fairly good uh, basis for us to work together and solve some of the big issues of the world but instead it seems to be as you were saying like the 5g conspiracy theories and and all of this stuff that we kind of you know that we revert to do you think that we will are you hopeful that we will adapt to absolutely it's a hundred percent we will so um yeah so these little kickbacks you know and and the dawn over in um countries you know it was about three or four years ago we had the, the spring dawn or whatever that, that mm. was called in you know these terminologies that come up for these things so that's just growth um we always need to have something to hold us um and, and to make us reflect um you know i get asked about those what do i think about them what do i think about the people panicking you know during and buying toilet paper <laughs> all this sort of stuff it's human nature and we need that so we need people like that to challenge us to, as long as they do it in the right way, right? So as long as we're not doing violent things um, and we can dismiss them, we can say, oh, they're nothing but lunatics or whatever, but are they? Mm. Uh, or have they just got another perspective? And, do, and we actually need people like that to question because that forces us to go and find the answer. And if you don't try and go and find the answer yourself, um, you're just going to make it up and you're only making it up limited on what you've done in your life, your own experiences. So yeah, I kind of like it as long as I stick in. I don't like the fact that the, you know, always ends up in a, a scuffle or a fight with, with police and the poor old police are just, yeah, mm. <laughs> just like us, they're just doing their job, but you know, do have those protests do make me stop and think, Whoa, is that right? Or is that wrong? You know, it's right to be able to, to question things. And I think that's how we grow, isn't it? Mm. You referenced some of the some of the pandemic reaction or the lockdown reaction in the book, and I thought you took a, a really pragmatic uh, pragmatic uh, take on it. And it was an interesting psychological experiment in a, in a lot of ways. And, and it wasn't, but it wasn't just outliers. It was like everyone lining up for toilet paper, queues outside <laughs> gun stores, uh, neighbours dobbing in neighbours. Like, there's some there's some interesting <laughs> oh, things I going on. That one. Yeah, I it was, was it was like 50,000 50, calls into the hotline or something like that for, it was kind of, it was strange, strange time. Yeah, it, it, it is, isn't it? Um, and what are we looking for when we do those things? We're looking for an answer. We're looking to be uh, part of a solution. We're looking to be part of a group. 
um, we're looking to be safe. So uh, I, I kind of like the Maslow, Abraham led Maslow's model of food, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. our, we have to go through these processes, our hierarchy of needs. So food, water, shelter, air, money, family. He, he, would, he didn't say money. I said that because without mm-hmm. it, you don't have food, water, well, shelter. You've got to add in, you've got to add in toilet paper there too. Yeah, I know. And, and look, I, so I went to do the shopping during lockdown um, and I had my list and I had my credit card and that was all I had. And then I go with my gloves and my mask and I, the, everything went into the pockets and I filled up, you know, $380 later, I come out with a, but I consciously walked past the toilet paper, <laughs> but somehow subconsciously got two double packs of handy towels. <laughs> Right, because we're going to need that for cleaning, apparently. Right, it wasn't a conscious thing I did. I came out and I went, Oh, well, maybe it was, I don't know, but what, how come I've got all this? And so, uh, you know, it's our natural responses. Uh, and so, don't criticize, um, don't blame, uh, understand. I mean, you know, the way to understand is to ask, So, why is it that we dobbed in our neighbor because of fear? Mm. We're scared that uh, and it might just be, Well, I have to follow the rules. So why shouldn't they? It might be that, but it might also be that uh, I don't want them, I'm putting my neighbor, <laughs> I don't want them to, to impact on me. And so, again, it's our basic want, need for that next part, which is safety and security, the next part of the Maslow model. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's natural human behavior and understanding human behavior. Um, it's not uh, an excuse. It's a reason. It, it's, it's, it's the underlying cause it's a cause not an excuse yeah Mm. i thought one thing was really interesting uh and we'll go back to the way we communicate in social media and even this as an example this kind of zoom world that we uh that we're living in now you know you spoke about some of the factors and the contributors behind anxiety and depression and suicide and and communication was really was really strong in there which i thought was interesting but um and and you talk about the fact that you know, it's hard to really have a proper conversation via emojis and to actually deal with issues and help release issues. Um, but is there, a, is there just a problem with how we communicate anyway, regardless of whether it's face-to-face or via Zoom? I, I think um, we all need to communicate in some way. Now, um, whether it's writing or whether it's talking, those are the two ways we really do communicate. And we've got the other visual stuff, you know, in the hands and we've got all these, these gestures that we can do. Um, but we really do have to get out and, and do in some way express what's going on. Holding on to an emotion, uh, a negative emotion I'm talking about here, not a positive, holding on to a negative emotion does no one no good because it just self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, you know, we are what we think. Mm. Um, it, it is really about um, talking with others, expressing it yeah, by all, by all means, you know, uh, as part of a crisis negotiator, uh, we learned that you could text, you could um, message, you could email, you could do those things as well as talk to the person that's in the house or on the bridge or whatever. So it's finding that way that, um, works for you to communicate in a way that that really does help you and even reaching out to like-minded people uh, and communicating via whichever form of technology you want is is really is the key provided it's doing it in a positive way right so we know that radicalization is all radicalization is is finding like-minded people who think like you and then adding more value 
to your current thought process. So we've got to make sure that the value that others are going to bring to us is right for us and not going to impact us anymore. Can you talk about the shit box, which is a particular theory? <laughs> I haven't talked about the shit box for a while. Yeah, so that's compartmentalization. Um, <laughs> sorry. Oh, lovely. I love it. Um, yeah, so particularly my generation, baby boomers, um, we had this ability, men, to compartmentalize emotions. Now, the best that I can find out about this is, is hundreds of thousands of years ago, if we showed emotion, if we expressed emotion, um, talked about our fears and insecurities, um, we were ridiculed or attacked or killed, right? So, so, but the way it works, the way I show this is, you know, to men. So I do a lot of work in farming and construction, you know, male-dominated industries these days. And, and I'll say to them, you're sitting at home and somebody brings a new puppy, a little puppy dog home, and you're looking at it, it's running towards you and you're thinking inside your head, Look at the little puppy. Here it goes. Look at it goes. And then you know, something comes out of your mouth. That dog pisses on the carpet. I'm going to throw it outside. And we think, I don't know why I said that, but I feel kind of good. Or, you know, we go and see a, a mum's holding a newborn baby, freshly hatched, all wrapped up. And, uh, and, and we look at it and go, oh, look at the little, it's got little fingers. Look at the little finger. Oh, it's just, mum says, do you want to hold? No, nah, I'm good. Right. So, so we resist talking about it. Now, uh, men used to be able to do that and, and we, it's gone now. The box is gone. Even for this generation, it's, it's gone. And I speak to farmers. I, I'll just say, where's your box gone? Where's your shit box gone? And they'll go, they know straight away. And what, what used to happen was it would get full and every week we'd go out with our mates, whether it was a footy club or, or wherever, we might have a couple of drinks. Um, and we felt like we were washing that box out ready for another week. What it was, was the alcohol was breaking down the barrier breaking down our natural guard to make us talk about what we're not our feelings because men don't talk about our thoughts right young men do so young people under the age of 30 are getting really good at this it's just that half of them they've got this half part of their brain that says i need to talk and the other half of their mind is saying suck it up sweetheart because that, that's the, the dichotomy that they have but that's how our mind worked uh previously now we're getting better, but we just need to get a little bit better. That's, that's my simplification of the, of the shitbox. Mm. Is, there a, is there a balance in that? And I don't, want to sound like yeah. a, I don't want to sound like a jaded old person, but is there a, <laughs> is there a balance? Because you've, you know, you've got some generations looking at the younger generations going, oh, you're a bunch of snowflakes. Is there, like a, is there a point yeah. where you know, there, there, there needs to be some kind of level of resilience and... Absolutely. Um, and, and so I've got two, two grandchildren. Um, one is, uh, I don't know, I'm going I'm to make it up, but probably what, the six and one is eight, I'd like to say. Um, and here's, here's one example. Um, I asked my granddaughter who plays netball, she came around, she's in her uniform, and I said, oh, cool, really, you know, she's probably nine, I think. And I said, who won? And she went, I said, you know, who won? Who? We don't keep the score, Grandpa. I said, why not? She said, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> right? And, and, and so they're changing anyway. But then I look at my, my 
grandson who broke his arm, right? So this, this said we need to toughen up and fall out of trees. And well, he broke his arm. And I can tell you what, he had a cable going out his elbow and it went right through to hold everything together. And they had to pull it out without, and they couldn't do it with, with um, any form of anesthetic. Now, <laughs> we need to teach our kids how to handle disappointment, not how to toughen up. There's a difference. Why did we ride bike to school? Or walk to school because it was safe to do so. There was no cars on the road, mm. right? And they couldn't go as fast as they could today. That's why we were, we didn't have the games. We didn't have the technology. We didn't have, we had books. Who reads books? Be home before the, before the streetlights come on, you know, that sort of thing. That's the way it was. We as old, more mature, older people must understand that times have changed. Yes, we need, do need to, to... Now, the biggest thing you can do for your child if you want to teach them resilience is to make their life as smooth as possible. Mm. The first thousand days are most important, right? Um, and the smoother we can make their environment, the better off, the more resilient they'll be. It's opposite to what you think. Yes, we mm. still need to have disappointments. It might be nice if we scored and, and kept the score and said, um, you know, you came second. You didn't come last, you came second or something like that. Just mm. to know that there is a little bit, I think it's just sort of swung perhaps just a little bit, um, but, but understanding that, um, you know, the biggest thing you can teach your kid is to how to, kids is to how to handle disappointment. It's not always going to be. See, perfectionism has become a thing. Uh, their brains are so busy that, and the only times they're busy in history ever got busy was when there was danger. Mm. So the finding danger where it doesn't exist uh, and the only way to, to stop danger from happening is to do exactly the best that you can and, and more. Make it 100% right. When I went up to school, there was, there was the left-brainers, you know, um, academic, very clever. The right-brainers, they, they were artistic, musical. And then there was the sports. <laughs> if you weren't one of those, if you weren't one of those, you were the class clown. Now, kids want to be all of those and more. Mm. Parents aren't putting, the majority of parents aren't putting their children under pressure. It's the children themselves because mm. they're comparing comparing with everybody. So, so, so making them know that they're special, that they are the same but different and how to handle disappointment, that it's not always good, but your very best is good enough. It's a, that busyness thing is interesting as well. And, and just in like a business context, it's almost like a badge of honor to be seen as being, <laughs> you know, frantically agile in a way. But mm. it's interesting you kind of touch on it. Sometimes it's, important to step back a little bit and and not yeah. and not move so quickly particularly at a time like this it's kind of funny though how do you balance that because you know you've got to pivot you've got to make you've got to react to what's happening in the economy but you you need to balance that yeah it is and um, and, and balancing balance is a, is a is a funny thing isn't it is it a, is it a, a balance or is it just a, a tilt mm. um, is life ever perfectly balanced no so it's finding what works for you. So what works for me? So I'm, I like to convince myself I'm an active relaxer uh, and I really just can't sit still. And I had burnout. I mean, that's the depression was caused from burnout in the police. Um, doing too much, not looking after myself, just simply not sleeping. So the three things we can do for ourselves, we know is talk more with others um, that we like to and, and share you know, our, our challenges with each other, um, exercise no more than a 30 minute medium to fast paced walk or, you know, 30 minutes in the gym is enough. 
for most people at the end of the workday to burn off adrenaline and cortisol and dump endorphins, which will give you the, our, our rush and, and, and make us feel good and give us the ideas as we're doing the exercise and sleep, not important, imperative. And so when any of those three things come out of step, that's when we start to feel like things aren't balanced. And for a lot of us, we'll try and bring balance with work and with, with, with our personal life by doing more at work so that once work is done, I can then relax. Mm. Um, and it never happens like that. You know, I've been, we've been sitting here and I don't know how many times I've heard my computer go ding. And <laughs> I should have turned the sound off, but um, it, it's, it, it, there is no such thing as you will ever catch up. Mm. So don't. What we have to do is bring a structure at the moment, particularly with COVID, bring some form of structure, right? So I always woke up at this time. I always went to work at this time. Even if you're going to work at home, I have my 15-minute break scheduled like I did at work. And so bringing that type of, bringing you back to your comfortable neural pathways um, is, is the, the way that we're going to get through this at the moment. And just knowing you've got to find what's right for you. The biggest thing I'll ever tell anyone is that you have to do something about what's on your mind. Now, visualization is brilliant, right? I've read the book, The Secret. I've got it probably in another shelf somewhere, um, you know, about visualization. And, and it is good. It is. And doing things to make you feel good, right? So we might go and hug a tree, have a hot bubble bath, um, climb a mountain, whatever it might be we're going to do to make us feel better. But unless we're dealing with what's playing on our mind, um, once you've done all those things, it's still there. Mm. So it really is about dealing with what's on your mind, what concerns you, not worries you, what play on words there, but it's the same thing. What concerns you dealing with our anxiousness, dealing with those things first um, and not making them perfectly right. If we can deal with them, if you can't deal with it, I mean, the only person you can control or got any control over is yourself, but certainly dealing with those issues and that will, is certainly bring some form of balance back to you because they play on our mind all day at the moment. You know, we're, we're trying to focus here. We've got this going, that going, this so much going on. So can I say, you know, do those things, do whatever it is that makes you smile. One thing a day that makes you smile, one thing a day that makes you sleep better uh, and, and just deal with it a little bit at a time. Don't rush. You know, they say to be met that life's not a marathon. It's, it's not a sprint, it's a, it's a marathon. Well, on both of them, you have to run at some point, don't you, if you want to get anywhere. But you just run a bit slower. Hmm. Can you talk us through 2020, some of, the, some of the tips you have around that? And we all thought 2019 was a bad year. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's been, a, it's been a, a journey for people um, going through this year, eh? And I think that um, it's, a, it's a great um, leveller, I think. Um, it's made us understand, uh, and even the most resilient person, you know, I have all had a, a moment of self-doubt. They've all sort of sat back and gone, mm. Mm. And, you know, that, that four weeks of lockdown that we had here in, in, in New Zealand um, seemed like a year. Um, and we all tried to do things and, 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 and instead of just sitting back and, you know, I painted the inside of the wardrobes of my house. <laughs> and I'm pleased I could laugh about it. I'm like, what? My wife just, every time she walked past, she'd go. 
And I'd say, and I'd be cursing and swearing and banging my head and getting paint all through my hair. And you chose to do it. Um, and so we get through it how we can. But I think, um, and you know, those that were down um, suddenly found like they had something to offer. Mm. And it was a nice leveler for me. I found people who were previously weren't reaching out that previously weren't on social media because they, for whatever reason, they felt like they had to, they were out there helping people. And it was a lovely, lovely leveler. Mm. Um, and, and the, the world stopped. And I put out a, a, a little photograph, photograph that I took um, over the estuary here and the sun going down and just about nature and how quickly it recovered because mm. it did, you know, and, and so, and we did. So now we're learning and adapting and it'll be in Auckland. We've got a broken bridge at the moment and we've got no water and we've got COVID, um, albeit all of those things, we're still going to get through this, mm. but it's just dealing with things. And it's, I think we've all learned about ourselves more than anything else. I, I really do. A lot of people were talking about the, the new normal, the new New Zealand's, and the profound shift that humanity would go through. But then as soon as, as soon as lockdown one was over, big queues outside McDonald's was like, just straight. We're I just... queued up outside McDonald's. <laughs> Don't you pick on me. <laughs> but it's, it's just, you know, did things, did things really shift that much? Are we just going to go back to mm. what we've always done? If we can go back to what we've always done. I, I think I, I, it's, it's hard to know. I think we're all changed um, that it's not going to go back to the way it was. I, I think that it's been a great chance for the world to pause and rethink. Uh, am I jumping back on planes and traveling uh, the country with my work? Yes. Um, I have to wear a mask and, and like I come from Auckland, I know I'm in the 2.5. I'm, I'm at home. I'm, I've got an, we've got an office. I don't go there. I stay here because I want to keep myself safe so I can travel. I would no, normally never have done that. I would have thought, ah, so I've started to think, so I think we've all really had some time, not all of us, but most of us have had a chance to have a little rethink, a little recheck. You know, normally I'd come in and visit you, wouldn't I? And I'd be in your office and we'd be sitting chatting, perhaps in front of a camera there. Um, but we're doing it, you know, across the airways, if you like. So, um, yeah, I think we've, we've, will it go back? I do, I do hope not. You know, I'm, I'm a lot more conscious about things more than ever. I always was a little bit conscious about things, but I'm looking at should I throw that out? Can I repurpose it? Um, the water, do I need this? Do I, you know, so I'm, I'm starting to think, um, and it's, it's, it's sort of almost like the world's just gone. Well, you weren't going in the right direction. Instead of having a war, have COVID. Yeah. And, that, and that's, again, it's a positive spin. And I, but I, the more I, I meet with people, the more I see, the more I read, the more I think that, um, is it been a good thing? Well, it's a bit like depression, isn't it? Was depression a good thing? Well, no. Um, did you learn from it? Yes. Did you learn how strong you are? Yes. Did you learn um, a new ways? Yes. And so that's the world, if you like, is going through a depressive episode and will come out the better. Do you think, uh, yeah, I'm totally on board with all the, with all the silver linings and the, and you know, that's, that's my optimistic tendency as well. But do you think 
will we will we miss something with the social distancing? Like even the like you you see someone these days, you don't know whether to reach your hand out, go for for the handshake, go for the elbow. Um, yeah. Are we missing something with the hug, with the handshake, with that? Yeah, kind of look, person? I still hug people. I still and I hug men. Um, you know, oxytocin uh, is produced when you hug, when you touch another person, mm. uh, and oxytocin is not just one of those feel good chemicals. We know that it dissolves cortisol and cortisol is what's stressing us. So when we go into fight or flight, we get adrenaline to our muscles to make us strong and cortisol to bring us tunnel vision. It it puts us on purpose, right? That's what that is about. Um, Oxytocin dissolves cortisol. So human touch and and human connection, even just talking Um, elbows, not so much, you know, and apparently you you sneeze into your elbows, so you shouldn't be doing that. Um, You know, uh, whenever I do my sessions these days, the face-to-face, and I, and I do travel still doing them, um, somebody will say um, about the, um, you know, I, somebody will sneeze and I'll go and I'll take two steps to the side and then I'll come back, oh, no, you're all good. And just, just to make a bit of a joke about it. But, yeah, we, we, you know, we are like that. And so and I, I, you know, when I meet people, they sort of go, mm. and then I, I shake their hand and I see them getting the... <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay we 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 cannot become more disconnected mm. we cannot afford to become disconnected when you're first born on your mum's chest designed to bring oxytocin which uh is one of those chemicals that that not only forms the human bond of who we are as people and the socialization stuff it also helps us protect us right so it also helps protect us against both physiological and psychological um disturbances and so look i ask for permission first i sort of get somebody reach their hand out and and they know me people that know me i'll go do you want to yeah right and then we'll do the hand sanitizer and everything afterwards uh, we we don't want to get any more distant than what we already are prior to COVID. Mm. We want to be bringing people together. We want to be inclusive. We want to understand. You know, have we, uh, people have, a lot of people have stepped, stepped back now and gone, you know, we've got people who've come into New Zealand to help in the uh, agriculture and viticulture areas. Mm. Uh, and they're stuck mm-hmm. here, right? They can't, they want to get home. And we've got people stuck overseas who want to come back who are stuck there that can't get back home. And we're starting to go, Oh, well, I am. I don't know about anybody else. I'm a little concerned about the way they come in. Maybe lock them up for four weeks, but I don't know. But certainly, um, I think it's, it's opened up our, our, our minds to think of a different way. And we, we need to be more connected than what we've ever been before during these times of adversity and uncertainty. Is there a link? Is there a link there? Like you mentioned um, some cultures where men you know, they embrace each other. They even do the, the cheek kiss kind of thing. Yep. Is there yeah, a yeah. link between... Small steps, small steps for us. Okay, okay, all right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just putting it out there. Um, but is there a link between that and, you know, a deeper level of conversation and openness anyway? Or am I just drawing... No, 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 you're right on the money. Um, so having looked overseas um, and first... I hate the third term, third world, second world, or that sort of stuff. But looking at people in the Western world, that's probably a good way of of going at it. So people in the Western world, we sort of become distant from each other. And we had and have the highest rates of depression and suicide. Um, Looking at 
so I was lucky enough to go to India, spent um, a few weeks, quite a few weeks over there, um, and seeing men walk down the road holding hands. And my old white brain said, what's a progressive country? This is great. Mm. Not realizing that that's part of the culture. And those cultures where the men do, um, you know, kiss on the cheeks and do embrace each other. And they do, you know, sometimes they do the, the hug both. So I love seeing that when two men do that. It's just brilliant. Um, because we all used to do it. It became anglicized. It became westernized not to do that because it was seen as wrong. And so I'm, I'm one for getting everybody back together and let's get back hugging and things. So really it is, it is about um, going back to that connectors. So those people in those countries that, that, that are unafraid to express how they feel, you know, that, that really do get angry and that you'll see them when they get angry, man, they go off. So they're unafraid to show any emotion. They will openly cry. Men will openly cry. They have lower rates of suicide and depression. And it's not because basic, that, that, oh, because they're poor and it's all they can think about is looking after themselves. No, because they don't know what poor is because they've grown up with it, right? So uh, it's naturally in us all as humans. And we did have that social connectedness and we did have that ability to, to be open with our feelings and emotions. And we've lost it to a large degree within Western society. It's coming back, I'm pleased to say. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. It's been, uh, even via Zoom, it's been, it's been a real pleasure. Um, one oh, last, it's been my pleasure. One last flippant question, actually. But do you use, do you use uh, all of your skills, your knowledge around neuroscience and psychology and, and all of your experience, do you use that in other areas as well? Like if you're going in to negotiate on a car or a, or a purchase? No. No, that's a great point. No, I don't. No, um, I, I think um, I've never really thought about it. But no, so, and I guess that's the thing. Um, these skills are, are learned and, and you can only apply them at certain times. Yeah, so I, I cannot be positive all the time. It is impossible for me to be. Yes, I like to look for the silver lining like we talked about before, but I don't think, you know, it's not a flippant question. It's it's a brilliant question, and I've had, you can see how my brain's whirring trying to catch up with it. Um, no, I've never used it. Well, certainly when I'm negotiating for work, I will use it, and I will use that little technique that I showed you at the start to show how it works. Yes, to score the the I mean, to score the job, you know, to mm. to get that contract. Yes, but I have to consciously think about it, right? So if I don't consciously think about things, I got asked to film a little clip for, for TV. They were doing a, a documentary on um, just before lockdown, what people were going through, you know, and, I, and I'm upstairs um, and I just had my phone out and I thought, oh, I better do that now and send it away. And I finished it and I shut it off and I teared up. And I said, what is going on with you? Oh, you're not sleeping? No, no. It was just an emotional over, overreaction or emotional reaction to the fact that I just said that we don't know what's coming. We're going to. And so I had that natural human response. And that's because I hadn't convinced myself or I, I wasn't able to say, and I hadn't thought through the whole process of um, what's the good in this. Mm. So I had that immediate reaction. And that for me is a good key of, 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 of what we should all do. 
um, we should feel the emotion, right? We should um, not, and I'm, I was a believer in pushing it out and, and just that's that compartmentalization. Don't feel it. You'll be less impacted. Um, but no, you, you do you have to, and psychology backs this up. You do have to feel it, but don't feel it for as long, right? The longer you feel it, the harder it is to come back out. So feel it, get the wash through you, acknowledge the emotion, acknowledging the emotion disarms it or in psychology terms, it's called validation. So validate yourself, self-validate. Yeah, it's normal. What did I learn? What can I do now? What are the positives? Uh, so it's a conscious thought. Brilliant. Have you got? Have you got? Uh, have you got more books? By the way, have you got more books in you? Or are you looking at other things? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I'm looking up television. at the manuscript. I have. It's a, it's about a, a two to three years, about three years away, and it's just on communication skills. And I'm going to challenge people on um, the way we communicate. And um, the research coming out now is all about softening our words. So, uh, and the way we speak and rather than say, I can't do that because the legislation disallows it to saying things like um, I'm unable to do that for due to safety reasons. Right. So we're just, so yes, there's another book there. It's going to be even more challenging than this one because um, I'm going to challenge convention. <laughs> I, I, words words matter right and i'm gonna you know they say it's okay not to be okay no it's not it's okay to say i'm not okay so i'm going to challenge all of those little mantras as well 